Good morning. Great to be with you again this morning. My name is Glenn Davies, by the way, a pastor here at the Rock Church, if you're visiting with us for the first time. I want to just say this also before we get started this morning. I have to say it because it's just so true. I really miss you. <laughs> I mean, it's just not the same. Uh, coming here and recording these uh, for you on, and so that we can watch them on Sunday morning together and standing here in our building by myself and you not being here, it's just not the same thing. So I really, really miss you. Uh, I want to dive in here as quickly as possible this morning to a really important text, an awesome teaching from Jesus himself. And so again, if you're new with us, this is a great Sunday to be here this week. It's really a great Sunday to be here to listen to Jesus tell us exactly this how this will all end. Now, some of you are thinking, great, Jesus is going to tell us how COVID-19 is going to end. Well, it's actually better than that. It's about the end of the world. Excited? Okay. Well, this is what it's about, and it is actually amazing to hear this from Jesus. Now, before we dive in today, though, I want to talk about this. I want to talk about this booklet here, this collection of 66 books. I know you know what it is. It's called the Bible, right? And it's actually a Luddite version. It's a printed version. And it's amazing. And and again, I hope you all know this. It's an amazing collection of books. And the reason why it is so amazing is because it answers all of the big questions of life. It is the Word of God given to us, inspired by the Holy Spirit, so that we could know who God is, so that we could know what He's done, so, so that we could then know, well, who we really are as humans, as men and women. And, and then out of that, how, how we to, are we to live these lives? And so it, it's, it's, that's why we go to it every week. Now, the highlight that I want to make for you this morning is two things, actually. Number one, and the reason why I'm holding it out first with you is this. It, it is that I think sometimes we can get the wrong impression about what someone like myself is doing or what a preacher is doing. And sometimes... Preachers can give the wrong impression, and if I've ever done that, please forgive me. And that impression is this, that I'm the one or the preacher is the one doing the teaching. And so you're coming to hear a teacher about the Bible. And, and the reality is, and, and I really want you to see it this week, and, and, and I want you to see it because it, it's what's happening in this text. Jesus is the teacher. No matter what book we're in, Jesus is the teacher you know, we look for all kinds of gurus and senseis and yodas in our world today, right? We go to these experts, we go to people, we go to preachers, we go to books to, to find out what it's all about. I just want to encourage you that you can go here, it doesn't matter who you are, and you can listen to the teacher whose name is Jesus Christ. John opens his gospel in, in John 1, 1 to 3 with, in the beginning was the word, the logos, the logic of God. And he was with God, and he is God. And then in verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is Jesus. And so that's really what I want to encourage you about today, is that he's your teacher. He's the one teaching today. I'm just trying my best, we all do, who get up here on Sunday mornings, just to open up the word and, and, and listen to the teacher and, and talk about it together in that way, in a preaching and proclaiming type way. Now, I also know this. I, I think this is pretty pretty true, that if this week Jesus himself had spoken to you or appeared to you and said, hey, by the way, uh, Glenn's not preaching this Sunday. I'm going to be there. And, you know, so listen, what I want you to do is as we look at uh, Luke 17, I want you to have your Bibles there, the written version, so that I can tell you what it's all about. 
I'm virtually certain <laughs> you would have your Bible open right now. I'm certain. So once again, I'm going to try. Would you do that? And, and the reason why I do it, it's not for me it, it, at all. It, it is for you. It, it's, I, I, I learned this myself, and, and I do this when I study. I've got a Bible software on my computer for commentaries and studies. Uh, I've got apps. Of course I do. But I have my Bible open beside me as I'm preparing messages because I want... Here's the thing. If you have it open, you can, you can see the text that we're actually reading together. You can see what's being spoken about before, so you get the context and what's going to happen next. And, and while I'm going on about different things, you can be going back to something that the Holy Spirit's speaking to you about, and you're starting to figure out, here's what I also know. I know this to be true. And most of you do too. Listen, if you do that, if you approach this time together, listening to our teacher through the power of the Holy Spirit here today, I hope, you will retain a lot more of this. More of this will be impressed upon your heart. More transformation will take place in your personal life. So that's why I'm exhorting you today to have a Bible open. And there's one more reason. You're at home right now. And some of you, like, I understand. I understand the kids are there. It's a bit chaotic. You're like, okay, Glenn's preaching. Let's go sit down. And, and you're like, I don't have time. Like, I'm holding one. Open your Bible. Find one. Open it up right in front of your kids. Right in front of your kids. This will be such an important visual for them and a lesson for them as they will remember many years from now seeing mom and dad opening their Bibles right there in front of them. One more thing before we get into our text for today. And we're going to look at it a little differently. You know the pattern here. Usually I read the whole text before we get started. Not going to do that today. It's a long text. But also because I feel Jesus is teaching it in sections and he's talking out different ideas. And it'll be good, I think, to just go through the flow together fresh. But again, if you've got it open, you can see the whole thing. But I want you to keep in mind three words. Just be looking out and maybe circle them, underline them. Be a good thing to do in your open Bible. Uh, three words. The first is the word when. When, it's an important word. Second is the word first, although it's going to be second. And then where, okay? Now, before we dive in, your sermon title for today is, go figure, again, I like saying that, how will this all end? Just a title, no subpoints today. I want you to see it all and hear it all from Jesus in a different way today. Now, before we dive in to the first two verses in 17, verses 20 and 21, let me pray for us one more time. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for inspiring this text. Thank you that it, the, the apostles and others were faithful to write down what you had to say, Lord Jesus. We thank you that we have these texts today. And we thank you that through the Holy Spirit, through you, Holy Spirit, we can have it affirmed in our hearts and minds that this is true. This is real. This is from you. And that these things did really happen and everything that Jesus is talking about that will happen, will happen. So we pray that you would just bless us today. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak through me and take, uh, take me aside and let everybody hear Jesus speaking these words today and teaching these lessons. And I pray these things, Lord Jesus, in your worthy name. Amen. Chapter 17, verses 20 and 21, I'll read them for you and then we'll have a look. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, 
nor will they say, look, it's here or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Now, we, we've been in the Gospel of Luke on and off for about 18 months. That's our pattern. We go through books of the Bible and, to learn uh, from Jesus and, and to learn what's been said and what is being taught. We know that for a long time now, really since he began his public ministry, Jesus has been talking about the kingdom of God nonstop. So do the Pharisees, by the way. That's why, as we'll see, they're asking this question at this time. And in that time, we've learned a number of things about the kingdom. A little bit of a refresher on that would be this. First, clearly it was not what they were expecting, right? It was not what they were expecting. And also, on top of that, it's not only what they were not expecting, but it wasn't what they'd hoped for or even wanted. So they were hearing these things about the kingdom that Jesus was going, no, they, they were wondering, like, when, 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 Jesus, are you going to be the king that we expect and, frankly, that we want. And what is that king going to look like? Well, he's going to be a mighty warrior. He's going to be a king who's going to come in and he's going to overthrow these wicked Romans and their rule and reign over us and, and God is going to reign over us. Like he's been trying to for the last several thousand years and we've been rejecting him through kings that he's given to us and prophets that he's given to us. But that's what they were looking for and hoping for that he would do that, and of course, that he would bring prosperity to them, particularly the people of Israel. Now, so if you think about it, what I, what I find odd about that is, is that it's not much different what they were hoping for, expecting, and quite frankly, wanting in those days than people want today. I've, I've wanted for millennia, for all time, right? It's not like they really wanted a savior, right? someone to save them from their sins and from their own brokenness. No, they wanted a king that would be mighty. And that's exactly, as I suggested, what everyone today is still looking for. A strong leader who's going to make everything great again, right? At least in the opinion of the majority of people who've put this person into office or into government, that great, strong leader who will also ensure that we all benefit have all the benefits of a free and liberated society, which of course would be happiness and increasing prosperity. It's funny, isn't it, how all those kings tend to fail us? They all do. They all have. And friends, I believe they all will. We've also learned in simple but uh, a memorable definition of the kingdom, which is this. Simple definition. God's people in God's place, under God's rule. Think about the garden. Think about how it all began, right? God created Adam and Eve, God's perfect people, initially anyway, right? God's perfect people. He put them in this perfect garden and world and creation that he made just for them. And they got to live every day under the perfect and loving rule and reign of God. That's the way it was supposed to be. Perfect. God's people in God's perfect place under God's perfect rule. Well, there was a rebellion in the kingdom, wasn't there? Yeah, we know the story. We and Adam and Eve thought we could do a better job of looking after God's place if we were in charge, if it was under our rule and reign. Well, sadly, even though God, of course, disagreed with us, he let us have our way, 
and kicked us out of his perfect kingdom into our imperfect kingdom. And, and really, the rest of the Bible, the whole Old Testament, the rest of the Bible is all about God's work of redemption and restoration of a people, listen, who will be willing subjects under the perfect rule of a loving and merciful God once again. So, I mean, starting with Abraham, right, in the Old Testament, we see God's plan to redeem a people to a place. What was that place going to be? Well, the promised land, right? And once again, they'd be under God's rule. And you know what? It happened. But the people weren't happy, right? They weren't happy. The kingdoms, the monarchies that came through David and Solomon were like all kingdoms today. They were flawed, for sure. But in essence, really, what all of that history and what all of that period pointed to was a future king who would, yes, listen, save a people for himself, an imperfect people whom he would make perfect, and then he would go and and make a perfect place for them and one day call them to himself in this place where he would perfectly rule and reign over all things for eternity. That's the story of the Bible up unto and including the time of Jesus. And so at the arrival of Jesus, we now see this breaking out of the kingdom. We saw that in Luke so far, and we've seen it as we look back in history, this breaking out of the kingdom of God in the flesh here on earth, and that leads us to the understanding of what we see Jesus saying here. What he's saying to these Pharisees, to these religious leaders, and to all the people at that time, which they didn't get is, listen, he's saying, the kingdom of God is here now in your midst. Do you see me? They didn't. They, of course, couldn't, and maybe better, wouldn't see it that way. Really, right? You can almost hear the sarcasm, right, in the Pharisees' voice and voices here in this text. They'd heard teach Jesus for at least two and a half years now, going on about the kingdom. It's what they've been waiting for and hoping for and expecting. And, and so they're listening to him, and then finally you can almost hear them say it, saying it this way. Okay, come on. <laughs> if you're the guy, great. Make it happen. Again, the way that they want it. So in his reply, Jesus says yet again, You've got it wrong. (laughs) He's been saying that for a while. The way you've expected and wanted the kingdom to come is not the way it's going to happen. So think about that now this way. He's he's not the king that they want at all, is he? That's the point. God knows the perfect plan. He knew what had to happen to save you and save me so that we could be perfected again one day and be in his perfect presence one day. And this is the way it had to happen, right? But it's strikingly similar to what the vast majority of men and women today feel. They hear the gospel. They hear the teachings of Jesus. They love the Sermon on the Mount. They love the love of God, forgiveness. They love all that. But at the end of the day, the bottom line is, the response is, hey, I don't know if I need a a savior any more than the next person, and the reality is they don't want him to be their king. In fact, they would prefer someone else, someone else that they might hope for or expect, and of course, ultimately, we are really putting ourselves in that role as king over our own lives. So Jesus ends his response here to them with three key statements, really. First, you can't see it, the kingdom. You can't see it. It's it's not visual in the way that you think. 
and we're expecting. And then secondly, he refers to what he will say to his disciples next, and that is, don't believe people who say it's either here or there, when or where, right? Don't believe them. And thirdly, he answers directly, it's here now, right now, in your midst. That's the when and the where. They didn't see it. They didn't get it. And so that's the conclusion we've also come to in our study of the gospel, how we've begun to understand uh, the kingdom of God and what it looks like. The kingdom of God came in this new way when Jesus arrived. We get that. We can see that. And, and it's been expanding ever since. And so we understand it this way. It is here now, but not yet fully realized. There's two comings of Jesus, two advents of Jesus that complete this. One is the beginning, the virgin birth and his life, death, burial, and resurrection, and the next will be his second coming. And so the kingdom expansion continues today in this age, in the church age, until Jesus comes again. And at that time, oh yes, at that time, he will be the king that they were initially expecting. But as we'll learn today, it was really necessary that he come the first way first. So we can then declare, listen, because of all of this that we've begun to understand, we can then declare that the whole New Testament teaches us about the church and ourselves as disciples of Jesus, and it is this. We have a king. We have a king, a perfect king. And, and we have a kingdom that we're part of. If you're in Christ and if you're a Christian and you're a follower of his, you have a king who is over us. Therefore, listen, no matter what you see going on in our world today, we're not to be discouraged. Nor are we hopeless when we see the brokenness and, and the injustice of this world and those, these earthly kings who fail us because we can and do say this, hashtag, not my kingdom. Hashtag, not my king. We, we can say that and declare that because it's true. But listen, that, does, that doesn't suggest for one minute that we don't care about our world or about injustice. Of course we do. Of course we do. But what we bring to the marketplace of ideas, listen, is not protest. It's not protest, but what this world needs most. And that, my friends, is the gospel of the kingdom of God. And if you honestly read all of the words of Jesus, that's what he's been saying. That is what he's consistently been saying. So he's, he's responded to the Pharisees. He moves on to his disciples in verses 22 and 23, and he said to the disciples, the days are coming when you're going to desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, these days. And you will not see it, and they will say to you, look there or look here. Do not go. Do not follow them. So now he turns his attention and his teachings to his disciples, and he's going to get really specific with them and with you and with me how this will all end. First, he wants them to know, and all of you and I to know this as well. There will be false Christs who will appear. False Christs appeared in the days of the apostles, and they had to call them out, and they've been appearing ever since. I don't know if you've been watching Netflix much lately, binging much lately, but there's a... There's a a Netflix original there called Waco, right? It's the story of David Koresh and the uh, Branch Davidian cult 
in Waco, Texas. Interesting story. I remember when it happened uh, in real life. And of course, um, they were a cult. And David Koresh, literally, you can see it in the show, but it was true in real life. He declared to his followers that he was the Lamb of God. That he was the resurrected Jesus. And so despite what you might think about what the FBI, etc., did, and the, and the show in a documentary form kind of gets into that, but he was a false Christ. And it's an example of what Jesus said. Don't believe it. Don't go following those kind of things. So now back in Luke, he says his appearing will happen like this. This is important. It's a key verse. Verse 24, he says this. This is certain. He says, For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. That's a singular day. And so, (laughs) believe me, trust me, in a few minutes, we're going to do a little walk down end times theology 101. But first, let's establish what Jesus is actually saying here in this one statement. First, there is a day, a singular certain day. It's a promise. It's going to happen. When? We don't know. We, We honestly don't know. He doesn't say. So, when actually doesn't matter. The fact is, there is a day is what matters. That's what I want you to hold on to and remember. Secondly, it will happen in an instant. You see that? Lightning flash. It's going to happen in an instant. It, as Jesus will explain further in his text, it will take many, many people by complete surprise. They will not have seen it coming. Unlike the Pharisees who were expecting the kingdom but not a king like Jesus, the people on that day will not have expected it at all. And finally, you will not be able to miss it. This is so important. When this happens, you will not be able to miss it. Don't worry. You won't have to look at the news. No one will have time to tweet or post on Facebook before everyone in the world will know it's happening. Verse 24, as the light flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so, Jesus, this is what it's going to be like in an instant. There'll be no mistaking it. Everyone will know. That's important for us to understand. So a little bit of end times uh, theology 101 for you. This uh, might be fun or not. I don't know. Uh, I've seen this in my lifetime But in the 1970s, there was a man by the name of Hal Lindsey, and he wrote a book called The Late Great Planet Earth, and boy, it it changed a lot of things. He was a a writer, kind of almost like Dan Dan Brown in The Da Vinci Code, kind of, Um, but but he got into what's called eschatology, which means end times theology in in biblical theology terms, Um, but he was what is called a dispensationalist, lots of terms, don't really matter, but these were a group of people, and they're alive and well today, by the way, who basically started looking at various aspects of the scripture, right, the Bible, and started to, you know, they'd go to Daniel, which there's some prophetic words in Daniel about the end times, or at least the times of Jesus and, and, and AD 70 when the temple in Jerusalem fell, long story, but they would look at Daniel, they would look at Matthew 24, absolutely, big important chapter, they would look at this passage here in Luke, they would definitely look at 1 Thessalonians 4.17 when believers will be caught up in the air with Jesus, right? Remember that one? Most of you have heard that one, right? They would look into all those things. They would, of course, go to Revelation. But here's what they would do, which is, can be dangerous. You take a little bit from here, a little bit from there, a little bit there, and then you make a theology 
you write a book. It scared people to death. Uh, there was a, a, another series that came out of that called the Left Behind series, right, which was about the rapture, which is, again, part of this end times theology and understanding. And, and it was like, I remember watching the first episode of this Left Behind series, and I was like, I was a Christian for a while, but it still frightened me. Like, there was a, it was a pilot flying an airplane, right? And, and there's two pilots there, right? Like, one's the captain, one's the co, and, and they're flying, and all of a sudden, captain's gone, and the plane's going down, and the co-pilot's like trying to, you know, that's frightening, right? Because, of course, Jesus has come, and they've been caught up into the sky with Jesus. And then there's a, there's a guy shaving in, in his bathroom, right? And one moment he's shaving, and then like a Star Trek thing, poof, he's gone, and, and the, the, the shaver is in the sink going, right? I'm not making this up. I'm not making this up. These things were very, very popular. Got a lot of people excited about looking around for the Antichrist and, you know, one world government and the end of the world. And, well, you piece this together when Israel does this and this does that and really got caught up in all of this. There was actually one time when they were looking at, okay, who could the Antichrist be? And, and one, all of a sudden, one person, I don't know who it was, but they, they looked at, you know, Ronald Reagan was president. They went, wait a second. His first name, because, of course, the Antichrist has a number, right? 666, you've heard that, right? So that Ronald, Ronald's got six letters, right? And then Reagan, six letters, right? And then people are like, oh, quick, Wikipedia. Okay, that wasn't around yet. What's his middle name? It was frightening. His middle name was Wilson. Six, six, I'm not making this up. <laughs> people got wound up into that and we're beginning, well, obviously Ronald Reagan was a movie actor. He wasn't the Antichrist, otherwise the world would be over now. Um, but people believe that. So listen, if, if you're wondering here today, if you're here today and you're wondering, especially during this pandemic time or even in the past, what's with all these conspiracy theories about, you know, the one world government and, you know, Dan Brown and the Da Vinci Code, those kind of things were part of that. And this is why. This is why. People bought into these things and began to see things this way. Let's move on. You'll see how this is just not true. Moving on months later from when Jesus is teaching the disciples in Luke 17, months later after he's been crucified, buried, resurrected, and just before he ascends, right, he, he's visiting with the apostles, right, it's the last time they're going to see him. And they take one more opportunity to ask him in Acts 1-7. They ask him, they say, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Words of our teacher. <laughs> the words of Jesus. So now please see this, and especially all of you end-time fans. I mean, come on, I understand. Late-night TV can really be a lot about that. That's all right. Jesus says this essentially here. It's not for you to know. Stop it. Stop worrying about it. Instead, would, would, would you do this? Do what I told you to do. <laughs> Go and make disciples. Preach the gospel. People need to come to salvation before they die or I come again. 
I mean, even in Matthew 24, one of the really popular passages about Jesus' you know, second coming and things like that, Jesus himself says, but concerning that day, 2436, that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, him, Jesus, but the Father only. Stop it. Stop it. And so all that we actually learn from Jesus about the end times can be summed up this way. We should be looking to the scriptures and, listen, yes, we should be able to, we should be able to sense the times. We'll see it in the text today. It's marvelous. If you remember back even into Luke chapter 12, um, Jesus is kind of criticizing the, the Pharisees, right? They, they're really good uh, weathermen, right? They, they, can, they, can tell, they can tell the weather. They know when it's going to rain or when it's going to be scorching hot, right? And then Jesus says to them, you hypocrites, you know to how to interpret the appearance of the earth and sky, but why do you not know or how not know how to interpret the present time? So certainly we should be able to interpret the present time, but what does that look like? Well, he's going to tell us in a second. But in verse 25, he says this, but first, first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. So this is before the cross, and he needs to prepare them, and he needs them to know, and you and I to know, that first, the Savior of the world must be rejected, but also we must also understand that before the end comes, before Jesus comes that way, salvation must be provided for. And that's why he came. He came to die on the cross in your place and for your sins and my sins and for the sins of the world so that we could be forgiven and so that we could be welcomed into his kingdom and so that one day we could live with him in eternity in perfect peace with our God who reigns and rules over us. So that's uh, unfortunately a lot like people in our day and age today, right? Despite hearing the gospel and the offer of forgiveness and a new life in his kingdom, people will reject him and the life that he offers them. Why? Why? Well, for one main reason. Not just because they don't believe in him or that he's going to come again, but they love this life more than anything else. And that's what he goes on to teach about in verses 26 and 27. He says, Just as in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. So just as he, Jesus, will be rejected, he's telling his disciples, by that generation in that day, look, that's exactly what happened in the days of Noah. If you don't think, listen, if you don't think that God, that Jesus will come again and destroy all those who oppose of him, think again. In the days of Noah, God wanted, he was, he'd had enough of our messing up his creation and of our rebellion against him. And he, he just wanted to wipe, out a, wipe it all out. But he found one man who he considered righteous and his family, and he saved them. And thanks be to God that that happened, because otherwise you and I would not be here today. So even in that, we see God's grace and his mercy showing out to us from those days. 
But look at what they were doing in those days. Look at what they were doing. They were eating and drinking. They were getting married. They were living large and living as either one of two things were true, right? Either there is no God, so why worry how you live? That's how they were living. Or if there is a God, come on, how likely is it really? He's going to just show up one day and say, had enough of that. Well, he did show up, and every living creature on the face of the earth, other than Noah and his family, were wiped off the face of the earth. They never saw that day coming. And I should add, of course, all of the animals that were on the ark with Noah and his family. They never saw that day coming. Forty days of rain they endured. Jesus goes on and says, look, Likewise, in the same way, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. Look at these words. So it will be on that day when the Son of Man is revealed, when Jesus comes again. So he goes on and gives another example and says, remember the days of (laughs) Sodom and Gomorrah? Have you read that Bible story? It's a true story. Look again at what they were doing. Living life. Eating, drinking, buying, selling, planting, building. These were good days. This was prosperous. This was a very prosperous set of cities. The city was also known for being, listen, very liberally, liberal, pardon me, sexually, known for, here's a good biblical word for you, known for their debauchery. That's a a good old King James version word for you. And so what did God do to this city? Again, from the King James, fire and brimstone. He wiped them out. He wiped them out. So please see this. As we already know, Jesus has told his disciples, that is, it is not for them to know the times or the season, but now look at this. He does tell them that on that day, what day? The day of the Son of Man, the Son of Man is revealed, that in those days they will be days just like Sodom and Gomorrah. Do you know any cities in the world today that might be, might resemble those days and that city. Jesus gets very specific in verses 31 to 33 when he says, again, on that day, let the one who was on the housetop with his goods in his house not come down to take them away, and likewise the one who was in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife? Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. So here we have Jesus point to and return refer again to that certain day that is coming and listen. That day could come at any time. That's what he wanted to communicate to the disciples. The Holy Spirit wants to communicate that to you and I today because, again, in the days of Noah, never saw it coming. In the days of Lot, Sodom and Gomorrah, never saw it coming. But it came. He wants his disciples 
and you and I here today to understand that, that people will be like that in that day. People today will be like those in that day. There will be people who are so given over to their earthly lives and possessions that whenever a calamity comes, the first thing that comes to their minds is to go and get their stuff or, or maybe more toilet paper. Right? Crazy how that was one of the first things that people had in their mind when this pandemic struck. He reminds them of what happened to Lot's wife. Remember that? She, she was leaving with Lot. God had provided a way to get away from the, the destruction that was going to come, and she just couldn't give up that life and that lifestyle, and she looked back. She was warned not to, and she became a pillar of salt. She lost her life. She chose the world over the kingdom, and that is not what Jesus wants for any of you, for any of us. What he wants for you, friend, and for me, of course, today, is to see our lives for what they truly are under our rule and reign, how we've been doing, what we've been doing to his place, and realize that what he has to offer is the life. It's the life. That's what he came to give to us. He goes on in verses 34 and 35 and says, I tell you, listen, I tell you again, this is what it's going to be like. In that night, there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. Some of you might notice in many of your translation, there's a verse missing. It goes from 35 to 37. Some manuscripts add there will be two men. And I, they're just trying to equal it up. But it's not in all the manuscripts. And so that's one of the things I love about the Bible and, and the things that we can study and look at the manuscripts. You realize there's over 5,800 manuscripts total, 2.5 million pages of Bible manuscripts in the world today. And so we can know these things. So maybe some scribes wanted to add it because it is in Matthew 24, but not in Luke. And so just a little sidelight for you there. So Jesus concludes with an exclamation point here. Some, like Noah and his family, will be ready and prepared for his return. Others will not. Now, please be sure and understand the word taken here. This leads his disciples to utter the word. Verse 37, and they said to him, where, Lord? Where are these people being taken? That's a good question. Jesus said to them, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. If you're an end times 101 uh, theology fan, you're probably going to think this is similar to 1 Thessalonians. They're being taken up into the clouds to be with Jesus. You would be terribly wrong. Listen to the teacher. Every single disciple in Jesus' day, when they heard where the corpse is, there the vultures will be, they knew exactly what that meant. It was a picture throughout the Old Testament. They knew this. They were being taken to judgment. Judgment. These are the words of our teacher. So now listen, we need to conclude. So let me encourage you. Let's hear from our teacher here today. The teacher who loves you and I so much that he gave his life for you and for the whole world so that, so that you and I 
would not perish, but we would have eternal life so that our imperfect lives would be made perfect again and so that we could be with our God and his rule and reign would be over our lives today. So let me ask you this in closing, Christian. Do you believe what you've been taught is true? Do you believe this is true? Then what are you going to do with this today and in the week ahead? This has really been heavy on my heart this week, so I, I have to pass it on to you. Friends, your friends, your neighbors, your co-workers, family members, listen, you know this. They, they could die this week uh, of a, in an accident or of a heart attack or of COVID, or Jesus could come again, or Jesus could come again. He could return tonight, tomorrow, or on that day. It's a certainty So I point you to Romans 10, verse 14, where Paul basically says these words. He doesn't basically, he says these words. It's really important. It's to you, it's to me, it's to the church. Considering these times, these days that are coming, that certain day that is coming, Paul said, how then will they call on him in whom they have not yet believed? How are they going to do that? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Please read that word, preaching. Preaching the gospel to them. Sharing Jesus with them. How's that going to happen? How's that going to happen? And to those of you who are here today, watching today, who are non-Christian, if you're a skeptic or unbeliever watching today, same thing. Same thing is true for you. Hear the teacher in these words. Not some preacher, hear the teacher, who is Jesus. And let his spirit, who's provoking you, nudging you right now, change your heart today and believe, believe. Because the verse that becomes, comes before in Romans 10 is this. It says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, who calls on the name of Jesus, will be saved. It's a promise. Call on his name today. Believer, Christian, preach his name today. Preach his name. Do that today, right now. Trust him. Don't delay. And listen, I'll tell you what. If every one of us, if every one of us were to do that here today and live like we believe that day to day, here's something that I I, I can assure you I believe is true. It's absolutely true. This will all end really well for you and for me. That's Jesus' hope. That's what he wants to teach you so that you will believe and trust. Pray with me, would you? Lord Jesus, um, you are everything. You are Lord, you are King, you are Savior, And yes, you are our teacher. Thank you for the patience you displayed for all those years. Despite the rejection, despite the mocking, and certainly despite the abuse you took when they crucified you. Thank you for being our teacher. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for uh, being our teacher about and in Christ today, to this day. Thank you for speaking into our hearts Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your Son. 
We thank all of you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for your great plan of redemption and restoration. Oh, Father, I pray, oh, Lord Jesus, I pray, Holy Spirit, I pray that this text, as in, in some ways, yes, as hard and direct it, it is, I pray, Holy Spirit, you do your work in all of us here today in me and every believer and member of the Rock Church, that we would trust this and believe this and it would change the way we act this afternoon and this week towards the life that you've called us to and also to the mission of the expansion of the kingdom, Jesus, that you've called us to, which is to go and proclaim your name. Call people to repentance so that they might be saved. Oh, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would bless us now as we go and we go into worship, and we sing songs of praise and worship and adoration towards you, Lord Jesus, and the call that you have on our lives. I pray these things in your worthy name, Jesus. Amen.